Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes, check it out, and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout-out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Yosef Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus 360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest is the man himself, Dan John. Dan needs no introduction. On this episode, Dan and I discuss what's new with Dan. Why does Dan travel so much? What is his mission? We discuss Dan's background in theology and religion. We discuss suffering and meaning. We discuss how adversity builds character. We discuss the true meaning of competing. We discuss how important the environment is in shaping a human. We discuss the importance of perceptions. We discuss bookshops and why both of us love bookshops. We discuss how constraints can actually lead to creativity. We discuss imposter syndrome. I asked Dan about Dick Nutmeyer's influences on him. I asked Dan, how does he learn? I asked Dan what is essential in his everyday life. I asked Dan what are his top book recommendations. I asked Dan if he only had one year left on earth, how would he spend that year and why? And finally, I asked Dan the big question. If he could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode with Dan and I hope you really, really enjoyed. All right, Dan. Thanks so much for making time. In your own hotel room, let me add, just for the listeners. Yeah. Room number three at the Pope Pub. Last year I had a suite, and this year I'm relegated to just a simple double. It's embarrassing. 
It's actually a nice setup here. Yeah. Is that a real phone? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, no, seriously, thanks for making time. Um, obviously, you've been a massive influence not only on me, but on so many coaches that are going to listen to this. Um, as I just said to you before we came on, it's been years since you were on, on my podcast originally. Back end of 2011, it was just after your hip surgery, your first hip surgery. That's something. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. You were in California at the time, actually. Yes. Um, but listen, it's great to sit down. It's great to catch up. Um, I suppose like there's nobody that's going to listen to this that doesn't know who you are. Um, so what's what's currently going on in your life? Well, right now I'm teaching at St. Mary's. And then I've, I've been out here in uh, England for almost two weeks now. I did a kettlebell certification and then uh, working here, which is great. And mm-hmm. then while I'm here, I go out of my way to just do extra stuff. Uh, then work with the javelin throwers and shot putters and seen that, yeah. doing a lot of extra stuff. I just, I, I enjoy it. I like being here. I like hanging around with the students a lot. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, it, so I used to go to this discus camp uh, for 27 years and I coached at this discus throwing camp. Uh, as few as a week, but one year, four weeks in a row. <clears throat> the thing I like so much about it is, you know, generally when I'm kind of sitting around and I say, anyone want to go throw the discus? Not a single person I know says, yeah, I do. But at discus camp, you might get 30 people mm-hmm. and then another 50 people who just want to be there with you. Well, here at St. Mary's, you know, if I say, hey, you guys want to talk about weightlifting, everybody rallies up. We talk for hours on it, you know, whereas uh, in my real life, you don't hear that much. Extra backup. Okay. Keep going, keep going. So, let's see, what else am I doing? Um, uh, I'm trying to clean up a lot of my lectures. My, uh, I'm, I'm getting to a place where I'm starting to worry that I'm saying the same thing over and over. And then I'll go give a talk and it's like, oh, that's well, we got to go back to teaching can't, here we go. Foundations again. It's, again. it's funny you mention that because I know with Mike Boyle, he you know he has his body boy Boyle online, so you get to see his staff meetings. And if you were to watch them, you'd be like, he stopped his four but he'd often say in the staff meeting, he goes, you know, I've definitely said this a thousand times, but just not to this staff. Like it's their first time hearing. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So like it's uh, it's probably similar enough to what you're thinking with your lectures. You're like, I've said this so many times, but probably never <laughs> to these people. I buried a lot of friends in the last couple of months. So one of my buddies, Rick Bojack, was this great American football coach. And I asked him one time, he ran this really boring offense, but it just worked like a charm. And I asked him, uh, what's the, you know, of course, what's the secret? And he pointed to my chest and he said, you, you can't be bored. And I've always, that's a great bit of advice for me. Like in the throws, I say this, I mean, I've done the stretch one, two, three drill a million. I mean, I have no idea how many. I mean, it's a big number. If I had a nickel for every time, I'd have a lot of nickels, you know. But to the guy I'm working with, the girl I'm working with, they've never done it before. It's brand new. And it's not, maybe it's not sexy and exciting, but it's right and it's good and they learn from it. So, yeah, I think Mike's right, you know. He's right, and you keep having to remind yourself that this is their first time. Yeah. And if I'm bored, get out, go to something else. You know, yeah. like I was telling the group uh, at the track about an hour ago, 
I worked in a cheese factory cleaning cooker hoods. Did you really work in a cheese factory? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's how you know about the way then. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah you can talk it. about that. That's a true story. Yeah. Oh, I know that story. They fed it to the hogs. It, well, it was just junk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, folks, um, back in the day, whey protein was a waste product from cheese factories, and they would pay people to get rid of it. And so when you go to the store and spend all that money, you're buying waste product. It's kind of like buying uh, sawdust or pressed wood. But, but, but uh, I will say, I know you said this yesterday in our lecture, but whey actually is a good protein source. Yeah, and so is uh, so a steak. Yes. Oh, I know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple funerals. Good friend of mine, Bob Gummerson, he uh, invented a, an important shot put drill that we call the Gummerson drill died. Uh, my high school coach, my high school uh, American football coach died. Ray Young. Sorry about that. It'll go off. No, it doesn't bother me. Um, I went to his uh, memorial service uh, about two, a couple weekends ago. And I don't know. It was, it was a weird experience for me. Uh, there was a whole bunch of pictures of me and my team. Yeah. And, of course, he had a long career, and we were like, there's us, you know. Uh, it was strange in a, in a good way. You know, my, my wife picks up this football, and she goes, that's you. I'd signed this football. There are these pictures, and I didn't I didn't see me. And she goes, that's you. I go, what? And she goes, that's why you stand now. Yeah. You know, I'm a you know, 17 years old, and I still stand the same way. So it was good. It's been a, it's been a weird year for okay. uh, for funerals anyway. But I mean, this is, this is the nature of things. A bunch of my other uh, competitive friends have died too. I'm not being morbid, people. I'm just saying. That yeah, this, no. So I asked you for the last yeah, year or so. Doing a lot of traveling. Oh, I do a lot of traveling. Why are you doing so much traveling? It's like, what's driving you to do that? Because like, that's the sense of getting off you the last two or three times we crossed paths. Is that you were? It's it's almost like you're trying to like get as much in. As you can, it, it feels like you. It feels like to me that you know you're like kind of like when I get to there, then I'm stopping and I'm just staying at home, retiring, and writing books. Uh, is well, that kind of what you envision? No, or? there's a second side to it, Robbie. I'm 61, and someone younger and prettier is just around the corner. Hmm. So I, I know I don't have much time in this career left because, you know, you guys aren't going to pay to hear the same crap I say all the time. But it's, the problem is it's real, it's true. But I tell you, it's real, and it's workable and, and repeatable. Yeah. But someone's hand's going to go up, and they're asking about, you know, uh, I heard octopus tentacles wrapped around the arm increases your bet. Yeah, that's right. Go get yourself an octopus. You know, <laughs> It's always it's always something new, always something stupider, always something groovier. And, and uh, a voice like mine, who knows? But I'm going to keep saying yes. Um. I'm 11 years older than my wife, and yeah. she's not going to. She likes. She works for Treasury, and she likes her job. So, I mean, uh, I already sit around the house all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I work weekends. I fly and I work. I come home. Um, I I work on the internet. I mean, I I've, I've been retired officially since I was 52, and but I only have like 14 jobs now. So I'm, I'm cut way back, you know. Give us more of your your background because I'm. Anyone that knows me, this is my podcast, knows that I'm I'm a universalist. Like, yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I like to think that I read and study from many fields. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I have you know quite a, a breadth. Oh, I wouldn't say of knowledge, but I, I have a, a curious breadth to study many different fields. And what I've always been intrigued with you is your background in theology yeah. and religion. 
because uh, I would read a lot in spirituality. Now I haven't read so much into like the, like the hardcore like this is the Quran, this is Hinduism, oh, this, sure, sure, this yeah. is Buddhism, these are the scriptures. I wouldn't know that type of stuff. But I have done a lot of self development in terms of trying to understand like to be and you know you can swear on this by the way. But like why the fuck am I here? Why are we all here? Who am I? Yeah. Um and like you know when you kind of step back and and, and look at training then as a, as a whole entity itself you know whatever the definition of personal training even trying to get physiotherapy etc you just realize that like those are just means or medium for people to live a more inspired life or maybe to 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 find fulfillment or self-actualization so do you Mike what I'm kind of asking is do you feel your study in theology and religion and, and what else do, do you feel that like that it is inseparable from everything else, even training. Like, you know, people are like, oh, Jesus, training on one hand and, and religion, what have they got to do with each other? Where really, you know, are you in a position to say everything in the universe is connected, really? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a product of the great books tradition. Uh, it's a system where, as a child, you instead of reading <laughs> 100 pages of here are the answers, you read a book, and then you ask, then you're asked questions. And you put together the answers. Mm. And so I'm a, I grew up in the Western civilization, Western culture, where there should be no dividing line between body, mind, soul, and spirit. And I'm very comfortable with it. But, you know, my first degrees, my first uh, advanced degrees were in history. Uh, I have a, also a master's in history. I uh, studied Beowulf. And, uh, what, what's that now? Uh, Beowulf is an old English epic poem. Okay. About... Uh, this guy named Beowulf, who gets in, it's called the Three Fights. Uh, it's against um, Grendel, this bog monster, mm. Grendel's mother, and a dragon 50 years later. And then uh, it's all, it's the uh, it's opposite of the, the Holy Trinity. Yeah. Uh, Grendel's mother, um, God the Father. Grendel gets his right arm ripped off to die. Jesus is sometimes called the right hand of the Father. Yeah. And the opposite of a dragon is, is a dove, so to speak, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. And then, but what I found fascinating was the writing system of the poet, the anonymous poet, how he uh, withheld details uh, of the story. Fascinating. One of the great Beowulf thinkers of all time, researchers, is J.R.R. Tolkien. And I use a lot of Tolkien's work. Yeah. His work work, not his his little fun stories about the Hobbit and to, to, to further my education that uh, W.R. Rogers and some other names. Uh, but I have, well, I'll give you an example how that impacts. Right. I'm going to tell you how it impacts coaching. I use it constantly. This, when, this is why I asked the question because I know you do, but I kind of want you to get, get sure. into it. Yeah. When Beowulf early in the story is just a warrior, he lives in the pure present. And see, I think athletes are warriors. But I also think children are warriors. And as I get older and older, I'm noticing in a war. And, you know, the other one is artists, like songwriters, uh, musicians, dancers. Because, you know, uh, there's this guy named Tom Cruise, and he's had this great career. But he's really stumped it up at the box office the last few times. Yeah. Here I just said, he's got this great career, and I just said he's stunk it up. You know, a guy comes out, a woman comes out with an album. You know, she's had a trillion-selling album before, but the new one's no. Um, artists of the pure present. What have you done lately? Mm-hmm. Athletes. You know, it's the hardest thing to explain. Especially many of the European students I work with here at St. Mary's. Um, 
you know, we'll be discussing things about like my injuries and stuff. Well, why did you compete hurt? Because there's no tomorrow. Yeah. And they, they, well, didn't you want, did you go to a physio? No, because they wouldn't let me play. And if I can't play, I can't move on. There's a picture of me and, and my football gear, uh, American football gear. And there's this huge blue pad on my left arm. I had five chunks off the end of my elbow. I, I, the, my elbow had broken off early in the season. Mm. I played an entire season mm. with five chips floating around my elbow. I couldn't straighten out my arm. Um, you, okay, it's not heroic. I'm, I'm Beowulf. I'm a warrior. Do you think for greatness, suffering has to be a component of it? And well, you asked about you asked about the meaning of life. Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Book I read it. And he says famously, you know, if you have a if you have a why to live, you can deal with any how. That's and, uh, Nietzsche, who originally said that. But he follows it up brilliantly with this line. And the easiest way to find out is suffering. Hmm. And I discovered that in my life. The more I suffered, the more clear I was. Uh, you know, there was a seven-year period. I didn't date. I didn't do any drink. I didn't do anything. I just lifted and threw, lifted and threw. Well, now, as I sit here with my Guinness and... You know, I'm sure I'll have another pint or two in a minute. There actually is a Guinness. He's actually just because yeah. if Ulysses gone, there is no get there is Guinness. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I paid a high price, but look how blessed I am now. Yeah. Next in the book later, I, and I picked this up. This is my research. I'm very proud of this. I started to notice that the kings spoke in a radically different way. They would talk about the past. Ah. Beowulf, I remember your grandfather. I remember your uncle. I remember, I remember the old days. And now we've got this terrible monster upon us. Perhaps down the line, after you defeat this terrible beast, we'll all have happiness again. Yeah. Well, kings speak in past, present, and future. For those of you who don't, it, there's a movie about uh, Lincoln and Spielberg. And it starts off with these guys, these two soldiers, repeating word for word. The Gettysburg Address. Two, two black soldiers. I don't, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see color, so I, I don't. Uh, it's, it's an American joke. Um, That's a great movie, by the way. He starts off four score and seven years ago, the past. And then we come here, and at the end he says that brilliant line, people will soon forget what is said here. Yeah. That past, present, future. That's a kingly speech. So when you're coaching athletes, you... You're generally a king. You know, uh, I lost this big game in my junior year in high school. And Coach Dion, the one we just buried, I remember him saying, the sun will come up tomorrow morning. Mm. And our guys who were in their last year, they were done. They couldn't handle it. It was a big loss. Mm -hmm. And I know all of us who were the underclassmen, juniors were like this will never happen under our watch we'll do whatever it takes to win doesn't care we don't care what happens coach de young was speaking as a king the juniors were going to warrior up yeah so what's the value of that well when you're talking with an elite athlete you have to remind yourself you're talking to a warrior uh, the olympics will come someone get a gold medal and some jackass journalist will say so you'll be back in four years. You, know, you don't. We don't even give our athletes a chance to you know, take the medal off. We're already, you know, looking downstream four years. Why do you think that is? Because because oh, because journalists are idiots. 
the, another thing too that I'm interested in is, so say you spoke about the, you know the players losing that game, losing that big match. Do, do you think that the real the real deeper meaning of that was how you responded to it? Like that is the real meaning of it. Like let's say if the Olympics is your goal in four years and you didn't win the goal or something happened. Like the real life lesson from that thing. It wasn't the Olympics. It wasn't winning the medal. It was how you were going to respond no matter what. I wrote a thing for my daughter called From Dad to Grad. It's free at my website, danjohn.net. It'll be in the show notes. Thanks. And put the put the PDF in there too. So Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. And uh, later we put it in the book Easy Strength. And it's on successful failure and failure with success. Mm. Sometimes you'll be, you'll hear about this Olympic champion and all these things they do and, and yet they're failures in life. Yeah. Uh, you meet people who get all their goals and, uh, uh, they get all their goals and yet they're absolute miserable failures in life. And at the same time, we have to get up and get a founder. Don't sorry. worry. I'm just worried if it's Seb. Okay, good. Um, we can, we can, like, my podcast is as easy going. I won't even edit this out. Like, no, that's you, fine. Sorry. you got to stop or edit. Okay. Or Lacey is bothering me. <laughs> Lacey's someone on my master's course, a, a really, really cool girl, and uh, she uh, trains with Dan. I'm interviewing with Robbie. Period. Give me a moment. <laughs> Period. I'm at the Pope. Um, Real time people. Okay, so uh, there's major goals in my life I did not get. Really, seriously. Yeah. Major goals. Yeah. And yet, we were at a thing years ago, and I was with this very famous shopper, very famous, who just died. And he said to me basically, oh, so you got a master's. I thought that I was going to start it, but I thought it was a waste of time. Well, this guy lived, I mean, basically lived in his sister's house. Yeah. It really not a lot going for him. And yet he had got some of his goals. Not all. No one does. And I thought, and I just kind of sat back and I thought, yeah, I, I didn't get all my goals. But damn, I'm doing okay. Yeah. So. But my question, did you try for all those goals? Oh, yeah. And like to me, that's what that's what is the, the goal. But the thing is, if you try and you fail, the, the, the lessons that you have, even the bad ones. Unbelievable. I, mean, it's, it's, I always tell people, keep a journal, because later you'll mine gold. It's gold. Uh, Carl Jung talks about the subconscious being a, a, a gold mine. Mm. And your journal is a gold mine. And it's not just the fact that I did five sets of two here and three sets of three there. It's not that. It's how I overcame an injury. It's how I overcame adversity. It's the things I sacrificed. Yeah. So now, I mean, here I am, 61, and I'm, I am so overwhelmed by the amount of, of pay, of, of great things that are in my life. Mm. I'm not being all religious or anything, and I, I, um, it always bothers me when people say that, oh, the Lord blessed this person. Oh, and the Lord cur cursed that one? Stop that nonsense. Yeah. Um, but... I, the, what I was able to do was, you know, I, we're talking to the track and I had this job working in a cheese factory. I just come in my head all day. Now. And I, I learned a great lesson. I don't want to work in cheese factories, you know. Uh, but at the same time, 
my schedule was I got to work at 10 o'clock at night and worked it until 6.30 in the morning and then went to my class for my master's degree, slept for maybe three or four hours and then coached and then trained after I coached and then caught up an extra couple hours if I was lucky. Yeah. You do that for a year, three, four hours of sleep. A couple of years later, you have a bad night. It's not. Been there, done that. And, you know, if you need, and if you need, and I think you should, I think you should sleep in a dark, dark room that's kind of chilly, which you'll notice this room is because I made it that way. Um, and, you know, everything has to be, that's great. Mm. But I, the way I'm going to defeat you at the World Cup is by playing a mariachi band next door to you all night long. Yeah. And just keep you up, because that's going to throw you off. You need a little bit of snake venom every now and again. You need, you need to get bit a little bit, yeah. So, successful failure. And, you know, succeeding. It's an odd thing. Um, I've always been a big believer in, in the big picture. I, I don't know if it's in my weightlifting books, but it's always in my theology classes. Um, you get the, I hope you listen to the story. Uh, the farmer had a horse and a son. One day, the horse died. All the neighbors said, oh, how sad. Farmer said, we'll see. The next day, all the neighbors got together, collected money, and bought him a new horse. All the neighbors said, what a good thing that is. Farmer said, we'll see. Next day, the son, trying to get the horse to be trained, gets knocked off, breaks his leg. The neighbors come over, what a bad thing. Farmer says, we'll see. The next day, the army comes into town, recruits all the young men in the, in the area, except for the injured boy. They march off the war and they're all slaughtered. The neighbors come over and say, isn't it a good thing your son's leg was broken? And the farmer says, we'll see. We'll see. And you kind of have to have, uh, as an athlete, if you're a king, a coach, you're, you're much more of a will-see person. Yeah. You know, I look back on my athletes and some of my least successful athletes were the most successful people in life. They didn't have the DNA or the, the family. Yeah, I'm my, my family, I'm the youngest of six of an athletic family. So it should be no surprise at all that I was an athlete. It was just, but I was also the youngest. I was always sprinting to catch up. That's mm. a huge advantage. Yeah. But I work with other kids. Mom is, a homemaker and makes a delicious breakfast every day for little Johnny. And Johnny never gets yelled at. He, you know, and he's a very nice young man. He's not very tall, not very strong. And he comes to me and wants to throw the discus. And he has a very nice three-year, four-year career. But he's never any good. Mm -hmm. The guy next to him, who... Uh, broken background. Broken background. Slapped around a bit. This is his chance to get out. Does everything, I say. Most people who are good athletes are wounded at some level. Yeah. And I have my own wounds. Um, Tony Robbins calls those gifts. I think that's a those good idea. Those adversities. He flips it on the head. Like when he hears people came from really bad backgrounds, going back to your story there of the, the, the farmer, everyone's like, God, that was awful. What, what, a, what a terrible upbringing they had. And Tony Robbins would say, No. Tony Robbins would say, That was a gift. Because he had a very rough upbringing, like his mother used to beat him and yeah, smash it up. She was quite a. And he would he would always say, "I would never take it back," because she made me the man I am today. And he would also flip it on the head 
when uh, when someone came from a and I'm putting quotations a, a great loving background because he had this girl at one mm-hmm. of the seminars one day stand up and he goes to her tell me about your father and she's like oh my dad like I love him he's like he's my best friend and he goes treat you like a princess get you everything you want and and she's like yeah my dad's great and he goes what a fucking selfish bastard and everyone's like what he goes do you not realize your father has ruined you like you were no one will ever be good enough for you you'll never know who you are because you've never had to fight through university so he was like it's just as much of a curse on the other other end you know what I mean so you could flip that completely on its head saying that the person came from a broken background got a gift you actually got a detriment because you got no life from it. Since today's Father's Day, um, my dad had a curse. I hope you get everything you want. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I've been around in life, and I've used it maybe twice in my life. I don't. My dad would throw that one, one around. He actually explained it to me one time, which is why I, I don't think I understood it when I was young. But he explained it to me. I hope you get everything you want. I hope you get yeah, everything you want. I, I, I can read between the lines there. Yeah, because... The good and the bad. Well, no, because... Now, Willy Wonka has an interesting finish. Whatever happened to the man who got everything he wanted, or he lived happily ever after. That could be true, but I'm thinking of a person specifically right now. Wanted this person, got him, while in relationship with that person, met somebody else, dropped A, picked up B, Drop B, picked up C, and now is very miserable. Yeah. Got everything they wanted. So it's a curse. I, I agree with you on this. A little deep, but yes, I think it's. I think there's a lot of truth to this. Yeah. Like I think, the, the more I study human behavior, human development, all those areas, it, it really comes down to perception. You know, so again, two individuals could be in the same situation. Just yeah. given every experience they've had up until that moment in their life, they could have two completely different perceptions to that situation. One person sees it as, as an obstacle, the other person sees it as an opportunity. And I, I always mention these gentlemen in any talks I have, like particularly talk we're having now because we're, we're kind of we're gone beyond the uh, we're transcending training with our talk here. But um, Joseph Shilton Pierce, massive influence. I, mean, I think you'd love his writings. Just a beautiful human being, fought in World War Two actually, um, but he a lot of writings in spiritual development and child development, a lot to do again with subconscious and conscious brain and conscious parenting. There's a guy called Jock Fresco then who's who, who only passed recently, he's over hundred years old. He started what was called the Venus Project and he was a futurist and he he tried to develop this model of like a resource based economy and just tried to take all barriers away, like you know. And people look at him and say it's very idealistic, but at least the man tried. He, he was trying to push it forward. Yeah. Exactly, you know. Um, and then, so you got Joseph Shilton Pierce, John Fresco, and then Bruce Lipton, who wrote the book Biology Belief, and he was kind of the first person to make me appreciate the subconscious versus conscious mind. And then also in that book, he, he made me appreciate one of the biggest things that vastly changed me as a person and how I perceive reality, and that was understanding epigenetics, that the environment is absolutely huge in shaping an organism. But the key thing with us humans is what separates us from all other animals and other organisms is that we can choose how to respond to our environment. So yes. going back to Viktor Frankl and man's true search meaning between stimulus and response is man's freedom to choose. Which is what freedom is. Which is what true freedom is. I think he said man's last freedom is the freedom to choose. choose. I think that's the Yeah. Is what to think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Great book. Uh, and I'm just talking about adversity kind of building character. Uh, you know, it's funny because you talk about armor building in terms of training, you know, mm-hmm. 
that's kind of like you know the adversity is the light version of the iron yeah. devil because he was a person. Well, you know, we all. I don't know how it is in other countries. In the United States, there are people with silver spoons. We got one who's the president of the United States now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he he had every advantage. Um, and I'm not going to rip on him too much, but he's a little full of himself. It's hard to tell. Uh, but, you know, you, you look at a guy like that, and Henry really had a lot of advantages. He'll never recognize it. And I've noticed that in the United States. You know, I'm a white male. That. That put me on the high road. Yeah. I, yeah. I lucked out. Yeah. I'm a white male from an area that had a, it was rather tough. And guys who, even a little bit darker skin tones, even a little bit more ethnic last names, they had a different road to hoe. And we forget sometimes, I think, you know, anyone who thinks you're a self-made person, I think it's full of shit. Mm-hmm. The, the, the strengths of my upbringing were that my parents were convinced that a college education was the, the was the golden bricks. I mean, they just threw money at you with a degree. Um, my parents, my, my dad was a huge sports fan. Mm. Was either of those true? You know, was is is athletics all? Well, I don't know, but for me, I was kind of told that if I played sports and you know got good grades, got a degree. That life would turn out pretty good, and you know what it did. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there's a little bit more to that story. Exactly. But I had, I know I had advantages that other people don't. Yeah. A lot of, you know, uh, in your native country, in certain parts, you know, having a certain faith, good or bad, yeah. changed the rules. You know. Um, you know, you, you take you take an Irish boy and you bring him over to, to England. And, uh, the English treat the Irish a little bit differently, Drew. Mm-hmm. I had to fill out a criminal report here one time. And <laughs> one of the choices was Irish. <laughs> it was like, you know, native Irish tourist. <laughs> it was, wow. Oh, my God. Well, I, you know, we can cut that out if you want. But no, just, no, 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 no. I just found that kind of thing interesting because... I never even thought of it being an issue, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I guess it is. Um, so, uh, so I've always tried. I mean, I've, I've done podcasts where people ask me to find success, and man, I tell you, you know, we'll see is 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 part of my success. Yeah. Thing. You know, uh, Frank Sinatra, you know, riding high in April, shot down in May. When you ask me about how many more, how much longer I have in my career. No, I mean that's kind of why I was sensing the travel like uh, like subconsciously that's why I feel you traveling so much cause cause of this we'll see you know yeah like the because I don't know I don't know how far down you want to go in it but like I mean you you often hear people said that JFK used to walk around with an with a with an air of like life was going to be short for him like he just knew like do do you I'm not saying that my like like I'm not of any religious faith. I was gonna say my God here, so my universe. <laughs> um, but not saying that you're walking around thinking God. I only have a year or two left because you just sense it. But I suppose it's maybe because you've seen some friends pass away lately. Do you, do you feel you're trying to, even subconsciously, just trying to fit as much in now as you can until until whenever? No, no, actually, I'm whenever Peter's gaze comes around. My wife Tiffany and I talk about it all the time. Uh, we say yes. Uh, if you ever notice, if 
uh, if you're with me in Ireland, and someone says, uh, do you guys want to come down to Sligo? Yeah. And you say yeah to a lot of things. Yes. Like this podcast being one. I was yes. like, bang, one Yes. <laughs> well, I don't want to call them shark habits, but um, I have so many great experiences because I say yes to the adventure. So if I'm, I've talked to people, well, I don't want to do any more work. Sure. You know, I'm so good. I'm serious. This is almost verbatim what someone said. Yeah. You know, I broke down. I'm going to do one or two events a year. And I mean, I could write their names down and you go, oh yeah, I've heard of them. But no one hires them anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when I first came in the industry, you know, well, I mean, in the, in the fitness industry side of it, okay. I started coaching in 79. Uh, lifting in 65, so, but the, you know, this kind of thing, the podcast. Traveling, speaking, social media, yeah. So probably, I mean, my first published articles are 98, 99, but those were magazines. <laughs> magazines, at least. <laughs> but when I first started doing this traveling, you know, show, um, the biggest names in the industry, I, I could write a mouse sheet of paper, show them to your our first year strength coaches, maybe never heard of any of them. That's, what, 14, 15 years ago? Yeah. You know, and in several cases, they were like, you know, all of a sudden, uh, my one of my mentors is a guy named Monsignor Fitzgerald, and he was my boss, and we, were, we worked pretty well together. And he always had this great bit of advice, don't believe your own bullshit. And I always thought that was actually, you know, not a bad way to go, because what happens is, you know, you start to tell, we start telling ourselves this story. So our school model is unity through excellence. Really? Show me what, you, what you've done for the school model. I, I just made that up. Actually, it's not bad. You can use that, but send me money. Uh, <laughs> unity through excellence or excellence through unity or something like that. Whatever it is. Well, that's a nice model. Well, okay. That's a nice model. Show me. So my wife and I, we have a family model. Make a difference. And so, you know, I was in Ireland, I'm not bragging on it, but, well, you know the Craddocks, right? Oh, well, yeah. Well, Emer works with this little girl up in uh, the north who had this really rare disease that they only know like, two people in the world who have it. Wow. And she had to go to I think, Chicago a couple times. Now, there's health care, but the flights and all that for mom weren't there. So, Tiff and I wrote a sizable cash donation, and then I did either three or four workshops all throughout Ireland for free. Oh. All benefits went to the little girl. That's why you were doing all those seminars. I remember when you were popping around. Yeah. I gave it all the I, I didn't make a nickel. I might have got a beer, a pint or two, maybe. Yeah. It was all free. All, massive audiences. Huge. And, uh, but from it, but from that, I went to Claire with Paul, where I met spent time with him in, in one inch. Yeah. Uh, went up to Sligo, went up to Belfast, spent day I mean spent these wonderful days touring Sligo with new friends. You know what is it about Ireland that you love? That's where my folks are from, my, my mom's from. But uh, the the point is that Tiffany's motto is make a difference. Yeah. So well I heard this story and so Tiffany just said we're in hundred percent. In fact, people were stunned by the level of yes we were at. It wasn't just yes. It was yes, here's a check. Here's this. Here's that. Just give me the dates. I'll be there on my own. We'll pay for them. This will do everything. 
Yeah. That level, yes. Not just... Mm -hmm. But having said that, to make a difference is, is the motto. But we said yes to every adventure that came from it. I'm going to a wedding uh, in uh, August in Belfast from someone I met at, at the, uh, the workshop. Yeah. I mean, who does that? Well, I do. Because you just say yes. And what I've noticed is... Well, Schopenhauer talks about it. You know, uh, Schopenhauer says that when you're going through life, it seems like things are just like a bunch of collisions. But when you look back at the straight line, uh, I mean, I look back on my life and everything that's glorious and wonderful didn't fit what I thought should happen. You know, I met my wife. We just celebrated 30 years. Congratulations. Uh, she was getting set up with my assistant coach. And I didn't want to go, and I didn't want to go, and I didn't, because he was a his wingman. And finally, I mean, he, he just almost begged me to go with him. And I said, okay, I'll go. And that's why I met Tiffany. Yeah. Um, my discus experience, I wanted to be a football player, American football player. And uh, I read this thing about this football player, and he threw the discus. So that's why I threw the discus, to help me be a better football player. Mm. And, you know... Uh, Almost, well, we're sneaking up on 50 years later. Oh, my God. Oh, we're, we're closer to 50 years now. We're probably 47, 48 years. Yeah, 48 years ago. That decision to throw the discus is, provides the home I live in, the cars I drive, my dog, my daughters, my travel. Because I read one line. Yeah. And it's a straight line to where I am now backwards but that's so so you never know and I think that's why that's why it's so important to say yes and and you mentioned that I look beat up I am tired I, I today's Father's Day and I haven't spent a Father's Day in Utah I've had one Father's Day in my life mm. in Utah because mm. I always do camps in June yeah now my daughters have spent Father's Day with me but I think that there's a haunting on this day for me no don't, I'm not going deep, folks, just, you know, because, you know, I buried my own father in 1991, buried my mom in 1980, and, on a, on, you know, you, you go to bed by yourself, tired, hot, muggy day, I'd, you know, I do those long sessions in those hot rooms. And, yeah, you know, yeah, Dan really grinds it out, I'm married, we got to give you that. Yeah, and I don't, and then some, if someone says, can we do more, I'm... Yes. I, uh, La know. I remember last year's on site, uh, you did like an extra two hours of kettlebells with like, there was only like seven or eight guys that stuck yeah. around. And yeah. it was full on. Yeah. So, you know, and I just think that maybe you're seeing me a little, I'm not, I'm not sad that I'm not with, there's a massive party in my home tonight, which I'm not there for. So I think that a bit, I have a bit of the, I, I don't say it's woe was me, yeah. but I think, I think last night my dreams were a little bit. You know, yeah. Because that kind of is a question I was, it's just coming to my head now, is that you do so much travel on your own and you do, have, you, you are your own company an awful lot of the time. How do you manage that? Like, do you like it? Yeah. Do you like it to just only a certain extent? Do you get into your head a little bit too much? Because, again, listen, we can edit this out. I mean, it depends, it depends on how deep you want to go. I, I felt last year... And maybe the one or two times I met you before, I felt a little bit of sadness from you. I don't know how I describe it. Maybe again it was just tiredness, you know. Sometimes, and again it's kind because of, I'm a very much to my own person. Like 
And I think yeah. sometimes if you're just too much, maybe it's just being in your own thoughts too much. You know, if you're doing so much travel, you're on your own. You're in a room, you're on your own. Yeah. Well, no. I, I Actually, I think last year, the first year I was here was such a triumph. Mm. It was some of the best work I've done in my career. Last year's class that I teach, and a lot of them aren't around anymore. That's true. Was a difficult class to work with. They were a difficult class. They didn't go to they didn't go to lectures, but we did the Q and A, and I think it was the three of us talking to each other. Mm-hmm. They and so I think maybe last year I was impact. I my expectations were this triumphal return, you know. Oh, I'm just saying, yeah. And then this year's much I'm much more. Yeah. You know, so I probably so for extra sessions today I did extra kettlebells with some people. I sat for probably two hours with students, just you know. Like, like oh, maybe well, I didn't conclude this three hours. Yeah. Uh, I did uh, two throwing sessions with the kids. Did some javelin play too. Javelin and shot put. Yeah, shot put this afternoon. And uh, but I love it. I mean, I, I love that stuff. So it's 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 okay. Yeah. That stuff's okay. You know. Um, I don't think I'm depressed or anything. No. No. Um, so for me, I take travel the same way I look at everything else. Uh, this here is my bag. And this is 14 days in Europe. That's all I back. That's, that, that's all I care. I like minimum. Yeah. And uh, well, you know, shark habits. I have 16 of these shirts. I'm getting laundered tomorrow. Um, I, I love, I love the equation of travel. Explain. Uh, I like that. I yeah. Like so kind of what to bring or is it, uh-huh, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So like right on this trip, I have two pairs of shoes. I have these, and then those. Uh, it's weird to think those little, uh, the ones I teach the kettlebell in. Little sandals. Little sandals. Yeah. And those are more expensive than these shoes. It drives me, makes you funny. I have three pairs of pants, which I normally never bring. But I got these barbell jeans and I got, uh, I brought a pair of khakis just as in, and then uh, uh, the black pants that I. What do you do book-wise then? Because you're a reader. Do you just have a candle now? Or? Well, this time, uh, let's see. Or I, do you do like, I'll, I know I'll get a book at the airport. Well, I do, well. So right now in here, uh, this they have a great little library. So right over there, I have uh, three books in one from their little library. I have a book on Czechoslovakian track and field. Uh, check that. Uh, a track and field book in Czech. <clears throat> Inside there, I've got The Sword and Stone, the German version. But for fun, I'm reading this murder mysteries this, right. that, that are in that book. <clears throat> My fun reading this time. And then, uh, yeah, I use the Kindle. Um I'm rereading a book called Spring Chicken, uh, which I think is just, uh, it's about stay, it's about longevity, staying young for a long time. And uh, oh, when I travel, I find rereading is the best. It doesn't work as well to read something fresh. And then often I'll buy a murder mystery. I go to a used bookstore, buy a murder mystery, read it, leave it in the most most hotels now have little libraries. I'll just leave it in there. Mm-hmm. So I you know I have these. Like there's an American uh, detective series, Tony Hillman. I buy him for a dollar fifty, and I just leave him in the hotel and move on. And last year I bought several books here. There's a nice little bookstore down there, and then I found out there's an even better one over here. I read that book. It's called Clever Guts or something like that. Uh, I read that book. It's right there in my in next to my coffee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I've been here two weeks, and I've read four books. You know. Is that something you do when you travel? Do you look for like little bookstores or? Yes. Great. I uh, I average when I'm not working uh, here. I average about six miles a day walking. 
So I just walk around and um, since when you're back home in Utah? I know here. When oh, you're here, yeah. yeah. Uh, when I'm home, I, I train, so I work out. And I have my own little thing to walk the dog and things like that. But here, like a, um, let's see what day would have been last it's Monday, I guess. I've never been. I've been left a few times, so I I go left, and then I walked and I walked and I walked and I walked and I walked. Next day, I walked up to Richmond, where Tiff and I had vacationed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, I walked to the stadium, and I went to the uh, rugby rugby museum, and uh, you know uh, I walked. I mean, that's I, that's very long. Um, and uh, you know I I stopped at the Angler Inn and I asked them about Father's Day and if I need a reservation there. So that's kind of fun. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah it's I like to, so I'm not. My wife and I have really good about. I'm about to say that generally I don't do organized tours, but we had we brought our mother. Uh, my father-in-law died in October, so we brought. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, you've had a lot of dances last year. Yeah. So we brought her mom to Ireland to Galway because there's something healing about Galway. Mm. And of course, you dive you dive in the Galway Bay in December and uh, cut back on the number of children you have. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But it also it is good birth control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we, you know, it's funny because she wasn't. We, I mean, the very first day we walked four miles, and she wasn't used to that. Mm. Swam in the bay. She got cold. You know, she the food and and all of a sudden, though, about five days in, you could see the healing happen. Mm. All the fish, all the fresh food, the the great dairy. Hey, oh, man. The dairy is so good, yeah. you know. And the walking, you can just see her revive. Um, so my wife also travels with me a lot, but we'll spend, we spend, this year will be two months in Ireland this year mm. with the, with the three trips that we'll be on. So, yeah. Something um, that I noticed with, with a lot of, I suppose, you know, great people within their crafts is they seem to be able to create so much beauty from constraints. So and what I mean by that is is so for instance, you know you you look at you look at your work, and you always talk about it's simple but not easy in right. terms of you know it doesn't have to be sexy these simple things and savagely well as Mr. David would say is all you need to do. Then you mentioned earlier on and really resonate with me because I often speak about this. You you spoke about musicians, um, and one of my favorite musicians is a guy called Jack White. Used to be the White Stripes, so they have that famous song, do 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 Seven Nation Army. Everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. But uh, but he's one of my favorite musicians, and um, he was being interviewed one day, and someone said to him, um, you know, like I'm fascinated by creativity. It's another thing yeah. I think creativity is just, and I think if you have an appreciation for creativity, you can appreciate nearly everything. Food, yeah. art, poetry, literature, you know, when you said a coaching cue that resonated with Natalie and they got it, it's all art, you're all bringing something into creation, you know, um, which is just beautiful. But Jack White was being interviewed and he was asked about his songwriting process and, you know, he said, I don't write my songs and the, the interviewer was very confused because he does write songs, but the interviewer was like, what, what do you mean? Someone else, and then Jack was, okay, I, I do write them, but he's like, yeah, they're not mine. 
He's like, everything I, everything that I've ever written or ever will write is already out there in the ether. It's already within the universe. I'm just the muse that filters it and brings me to creation. And then when I bring them to creation, it is up to every individual to perceive whatever way they want. It's my gift. It's a way to own it. I just bring that gift in and it's up to everyone then to re receive that gift any way they want. And um, the reason I bring up Jack White is because when he when he creates his art, when he creates music, he does it under a lot of constraints. So whenever he does a gig, he never goes on with songs. He wants to be in the moment. He always plays terrible guitars. They constantly break in, in the concert. He hates he hates it being too sterile. He says it ruins creativity. He he goes, every night I play, I'll push the piano just about an inch more away so that I have to rush over a bit more to get it. I'll, I'll take one less spare pick because if another one breaks, oh, I've only got four left for that rest of the concert. He used to, he used to play in the White Stripes and Meg was his drummer and Meg couldn't play the drums. When, when they used, when, now, she got better as the years went on, but she basically just used to play the most like rudimentary drum series. And this was his whole thing. And he said, how? And they could only wear three colours on stage, black, red or white. They could only have three things going on at once, drums, vocal or guitar, drums, vocal or piano. So he was like, how creative can I get from these constraints? And I just see that in so many people who've mastered a craft. It's, you know, like, and I'm paraphrasing this phase, or just this quote, it's like, in the beginner's mind, there's many, but in the master's, you know, there's few, that kind of, you know that saying? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And I just see that a lot in your work too, and and it seems to kind of nearly fall on deaf ears because usually again, you know, you're lecturing to like that first generation coming up and they're just bombarded by everything. It's like, well, what about this? Well, what about that? What about this? And it's just like you listen to someone who's a master in another craft like Jack White going, you know, you don't need a lot of uh, great things to make great music. Like, actually, you'll love this, and I'll send it to you. There's a great documentary called It Might Get Loud, and it's about Jack White, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, and The Edge from U2. Now, The Edge is the exact opposite to Jack White. He's all about technology, and it's, re it's just to show the contrast, though. It's really funny. It shows The Edge in Dublin playing a, like a, a little, little chord. And he said, listen to this. And it's just a you know, routine cover. And he goes, but now listen to it with all the technology. And it's bam, 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 bam. But then the, the next scene cuts to Jack White. And Jack White's in this run-down car driving through Tennessee, America. And the first words I was met is, I hate technology. It ruins creativity. Straight away. You know, and he pulls up to this like old broken-down house. But at the very start of that documentary, that he's uh, it's Jack White with a bag in the mouth. He's on a porch of a run-down house. He's got rotten wood, right? And he has a nail and a nail and just this silver string, wire string. And he has that. And he hammers the string into either end of the wood, gets a Coke bottle, sticks it in underneath. He has an amp. And he takes a little amp uh, modifier, hammers it into the wood, plugs the amp in. And then he's ever done with a cigarette. <laughs> and he just picks up uh, a slide in his finger, clicks on the, the amp, and he just slides the finger up and down the wire with the the coke bottle and if you closed your eyes and just listened you were like someone that's playing unbelievable slide guitar and it was just him with this like he just in created in like two minutes and then as he and this is the very start of the documentary he takes he picks up the fag takes a cuff puts it down who says you need a guitar <laughs> and it was just it was just so yeah. beautiful you know and sorry that whole story around is just that you know creativity from constraints again Something people would view as an adversity. Oh, I've, I've, I don't have the opportunities. Well, let me give you an example follow-up. Yeah. The best coaching in my discus throwing career, we had no ring. <laughs> we had no field. The net. Well, the wall. Yeah. 
and my and all of a sudden we were training an hour. We had we had coaches from all the country, the, the Division One coach, the top the top end, coming to visit Salt Lake City to this little Catholic high school in Salt Lake City, Utah, to find out what we were doing. And they'd be like, at first they'd be like, so this is practice, mm-hmm. and then ten minutes later they'd be like, oh my god. Because we'd already thrown more times than we were athlete did in three weeks and did more drills and had more fun. And so, yeah, I'm a big believer. Um, I like I like this, you, you saw that ad, I mean, there's college adversity. It was a key. Oh, yeah. You know, I got a buddy who I always joke could go into a hardware store and invent a shot put drill yeah. by just finding pieces of equipment. You know, people ask me, where'd you get your sleds? And I'd be like, my sleds? Oh, that was a broken wheelbarrow. We just threw shit in it, hooked a rope around it, hooked the rope to the weight belts and ran. Yeah. Oh, well, how do you load it? Oh, we throw shit in it, you know, concrete. It'd be broken, any, anything. We put whey protein in it. <laughs> we put whey protein in it. <laughs> and, and you do that, and it's like, well, and then, of course, I know, God bless the first students here, the first years here would raise their hand and go, uh, the loading parameters of a bunch of concrete and broken sticks is how much? I don't know. But we threw farther and got better and had fun. And, and it's a couple of times in my career, we got better. We mm-hmm. spent more money and we didn't we didn't get better. But yeah. We spent more money, got nicer stuff, and didn't improve. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Charles Daly one time in an article talked about how I trained uh, inside a garage that had so the water off the cars freeze on the floors in my garage. Mm-hmm. So when I Olympic lift in the winter, uh, it gets dicey because I'm on I'm literally not on ice, and uh, you know you make a step back, you could it could get bad, but he goes you know brilliant. I mean you talk about you know I think there's great value to it. That there's a great book if you ever get a chance. It's called Parkinson's Law. See Northcote Parkinson, and he's got this funny thing about you know mm-hmm. the corporations you want to invest in. If you come in the front door and you can't get in, the guy goes, oh, just come around the back. And there's a rickety set of stairs. and you know Everything's kind of held together with pieces of wood. He goes, invest there. Those can... But if you get to a place with the perfect office and some snooty girl in a cocktail yeah. and you are with, take your money out because they're a dying company. I wouldn't want to say I emulated that, but I just fell into it. You know, we were always, I've always been low-budget programs. I mean, low budget. I mean, nothing. Um, I don't think I've been paid. If you added up all the money I've been paid as a strength coach, it, not very much. But it doesn't matter. I love it. And I love the fact that I don't have budgets. And we have to scramble for things and outthink. I have to outthink you, my opponent, mm-hmm. constantly. And all of a sudden, we've outthinked you so much. You've been stuck in a rut. You know, Earl Nightingale says, uh, a rut is a grave with the ends knocked out. It's brilliant, you know. And you're stuck in this. You're going to do Mondays is bench day, Wednesdays is clean day, Fridays is you know high box squat day. And you've been doing that for 20 years, and it's got to be good. Well, and we're doing all this. We're tumbling, and because we don't we don't have the money for more weights, but we can use the floor for tumbling. Mm-hmm. And we're doing all this stuff, and our kids are expanding in all directions, and your guys, you know, do the three day a week thing, which is fine. Yeah. Something I've meditated on an awful lot 
maybe not so much lately, but at the end of 2016-17, I was really sort of fascinated by this concept of imposter syndrome. So basically, it's a it's a it's basically a, a term given to you feel you're not good enough. You're kind of always having to search externally for the answer. You, you feel the like opposite you're, you of the Dunning Kruger effect, or whatever it's called. Uh, uh, Dunning Kruger. Dunning Kruger. Yeah. I wouldn't. I don't know if it's if I compare it to that. But imposter syndrome is like feeling you're a fraud in your field. And so where I'm going with this is, so often we is and the, the reason why you made me think about this is again this sort of like people think you have to have bells like if something has bells and whistles that has to be the answer it has to, it looks sexier because so basically uh, I'll, I'll kind of get to the story here is that i interned at altus fabulous internship and they work out of exos yeah and exos is a gorgeous facility but all my friends back home in ireland when i came back from the internship like so tell me like what do they do there is it amazing? And I was like, do you want to know what they do? Okay. And by the way, when I was when I was speaking with my athletes, we were in our facility, our gym, which is not the bells and whistles or doesn't look as nice. But they were like, what, what do they do? And I was like, this is what they did there. They did trap bar deadlift. Oh, we have trap bars. They were doing push-ups. We do those. They were doing chin-ups. We do those. We were like single leg deadlifts. I was like, they do all the same things you do. It's just a nice facility. But yeah, in their perceived notion, it had to be better. And and then the reason I come with imposter syndrome is that so many times people, and maybe because social media now is, is just everywhere now, and everyone is connected through the internet. I think people are seeing through social media what they perceive, you know, oh, that person has made it. You know, I what have I done? I've done nothing. I must, I have to go there. You know, I have to go there to get the answers. And then when they go there, they're like, where are these answers? I spent all this money and I'm still not happy. And then like, it's kind of like if they really sat down and met, they're like, maybe the answers are meant to come from inside. Hence why it's called inspiration. So this kind of, that's what I meditate on highly. Because the other thing with the Altus internship, and I never take it back, but people often say, what did you learn there? And to be honest, this is true of all my internships. Like people are like, did you learn like the new, and you'll really appreciate like, what training was it unreal? I was like, do you know what I learned? I learned I spent about 10,000 euro of my savings to realize that I'm good enough. Yeah. That, that everything I needed to know and everything that, that I will ever need to know is inside me, in my heart, and my soul, and my mind. That, like, really just coming to a place and saying, like, like, just cut all the bullshit. It comes down to loving yourself. That's really what it is. Mm. It's it's really trying to find out who am I and do I really love myself. Well, I would also make sure you have that Dunning Kruger. Is that that Dunning Kruger? Yeah, yeah. You, you need Where both. You, you have a little bit of knowledge and you think you know everything. Yeah, day. I think we need both. Because yeah. it is true. I mean, I'll go to a thing like this. Students' hand will go up and they'll talk about you know uh, octopus. What did I say? Octopus tentacle training. They or bench press and and I'll listen to stuff, and I was like, no, I don't do that. Oh, because I read, yeah, you read this thing. Yeah. And it's hot and sexy, but it's not going to be around in two years. You're not going to be able to get 95 athletes to be able to do that at once. Yeah. And so, but then, when the students leave, literally, there's a little drop in my heart, like, you know, I really should. And then I have this internal war that goes on, like, 
what's nice now is it's like, Dan, you're 61. You've been doing this since 1965. You're okay. You've had success. You, what you do works. We're fine. We're fine. Hmm. But you know what? And then you start. Yeah. So I, is, I, and I don't want to come across God. I don't want to come across saying that I know all the answers. I'll, I'll never keep no, searching no. that. Like it, you'll always. Well, I figure you know the old joke about what we do is that we know eighty percent of what to do. Uh, yeah. But the problem is we have no idea what the twenty set. Twenty percent we don't know. I always have the like. This is the saying I often say, and because uh, I definitely want to come across. So imposter just means that you feel like a fraud, and you feel like you feel that you'll always have to outsource. Like, mm-hmm, you'll never be mm-hmm. able to, to. It's it's it goes back to my favorite essay, Self Reliance, from Rockwell Emerson, and his whole you know one of the tenets of that is like you see someone have an original thought, and then you feel just such an element of jealousy. And says jealousy is because you had an original thought once, but you were too afraid to put it out because you were like, yeah, it's my thought. What how stupid? You know, how silly well, I told it? Adrian this, and I'll tell you this: if I hire you as an assistant. Every one of my athletes thinks that they're getting something special. You know why? Because you have broke. Yeah. So you go, and then when I'm over here and I go out to talk with their coach at the track coaches, they all think I'm a freaking genius mm-hmm. because I speak like American. I speak, I got a bad case of American. Because Mike Boyd says, you want to be an expert, get a PowerPoint and go 100 miles away from your hometown. Hey, I. Or maybe a bit more. There's a company in, in Utah now that hired me. Well, it's two now. But my point is. I've actually had people say, I can't believe you've been, you've, I've lived down the street for you for 20 years. But that's the point. Of course you don't. But I've, I've traveled in America and I go to people, oh, have you gone down to the, this facility down down the road? And they're like, no, I've never heard of it. Like, they're like 10 minutes from your house. I've traveled 4,000 miles and like, I'm telling you that. But yeah, I, I completely agree. But I just want to say that the quote I was going to say to you is that, I, just going back to Dunny Kruger, is that I, I always do say this. I know enough to know that I know fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> that, you yeah. know, so I, I know that life is a continual journey and we're always learning because this is the other thing that a friend of mine, Jay Smith, talks about. He's like, what happens when new knowledge comes into creation? Because his whole thing is like, he can't stand people who are perceived experts because they've been in the field for 30 years. So he's like, experience is not equal expertise because if new knowledge comes into creation, now he doesn't disregard experience altogether, yeah. but he's like, if new knowledge comes into creation, like something that was never known before is now known. He's like, so it's, it's basically saying when people turn around and say like, oh, I know everything. He's like, that can't because we'll never know. I, we never. So I know enough to know. I know very little. So I go to this uh, cafe every day called Landmark. Every day. That's, we, we work out. This in your home? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so they have copies of my books. I reference them in my books. Uh, the owner uh, has a little mural my book because I mentioned so it's up on the wall which one never let go now now and we did the thing a couple months ago and one of the guys I had to take off the next day to fly out one of the guys stayed to go do something Jim Jones so we hit by the landmark cafe and he sat at the bar and he was talking to Leo and the owner Marianne and he said you know and he started talking about how famous I was and he, and he kind of I think he might have over it but my point I eat there every single day. Then the next Tuesday, I come in and Marianne, the owner, sits down. She goes, "I had no idea that you were this famous." And I go, "Well, I'm always famous in this goofy little subset of a bunch of psychopaths, but yes, I'm famous in that." Yes, that called the psychopath. Yeah, lunatic asylum. I'm the, yeah, I'm the king of the lunatic assignment, yeah, or whatever the head prince or something like that. But it was interesting because, you know, I'll. 
Uh, the guy who runs Jim Jones now is a former student of mine from high school. He graduated in 91. And he goes, you know, I knew he knew a lot about lifting, but I had to go off and join the Marine Corps and travel around the world to find out that what I was getting was gold. for free after school from the religion history teacher was as good as anywhere on it. But that's, it hurts when I pat myself in the back this much, folks. It's like, and I won't keep you too much longer. Um, sure. Yeah, I got it. What? Oh, yeah. I got students coming over. Yeah. Um. Just last you one time. Speak to me about Dick Notmore. Sure. Because I know he was a massive influencer. Massive. So I talked to him. I try. I need to talk to him more often. Huh? I'm going to try to get better about it. Um. I may never see him in this mortal life again. You know, he's going to. He's going to be 87 this year. But even now, I'll call him up. Uh, I called him up a couple weeks ago. I said, I said, Dick, guess where I am? And he goes, I don't know. And I go, oh, it's 790 Moana Way. And it just made him so happy. It's our gym was there. And uh, Dick, uh, I wanted to be, I was 162 pounds or kilos. 162 pounds? Yeah, which one do you want? You want pounds or kilos? You can get both. So 162 pounds, what? 65 kilos? Yeah. No, two more. Maybe a touch more. Touch more, so. Yeah, but right. yeah, and uh, I met him at a weightlifting meet because I wanted to learn the Olympic lifts, and I'd read his name before in Strength and Health that he run he runs he runs meets, and then he wasn't there. And Jim Schmitz, who's also yeah, no Jim, yeah. yeah, and Jim Schmitz, thanks to Dick Notmar. What? Where is he? Well, I bumped into him because I was going to the bathroom. He was just coming out, and I said, "Hi, hey, I want to be a weightlifter," you know. So he charged me. Uh, 25 cents a week to lift five days a week for three hours. 20, by the way, it was not very much then either, okay? Yeah. And, uh, you know, our workouts, you know, snatch, cleaner, front squats, and life lessons. And uh, a joke, and it's pretty, it's actually pretty close to the truth, you know. You get divorced, call Dick. Dick would say, okay, front squats and protein. You know, you, you get cancer, front squats and protein. Yeah. yeah. But he was just, he's just a decent man, good man. You got an answer? You know? I, yeah, answer. I got an answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. So, yeah, continue. Yeah, so that was a, so that was a nice uh, FaceTime message from my wife and everyone I know. Um, Tell them happy Father's Day. Yeah, happy Father's Day. To well, on, on behalf of the strength uh, or the, the whole training community, happy. Happy Father's Day. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. So, yeah, so Dick, in, in many ways, this was a tough time in my life. Some bad things had happened in our family. If we were juggling war veterans and some other issues, it wasn't a good time. It wasn't a good time at all. Uh, the place my dad worked closed, and I, my chances for college narrowed to junior college, and that would be it. And, uh, your brother was in the army too. Wasn't he? Oh, three. All three. No, they were now. So I had, yeah, well, my whole family's military. Everyone in my family's military. Why didn't you go? We'll talk about that off camera. Okay. There's more to that story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, might have to do that tomorrow if you're a little bit time. Yeah. So, so I met Dick and I started training with him and ate protein. Well, four months later, I weighed 92 kilos. You went up to over 200. Yep, by quite a bit. 
And my brother one day, my brother Gary, who I talk about a lot in my yeah. writing, uh, he had just gotten married and I hadn't seen him in a couple months. So I walked in the door and he went, holy shit! Because it was such a transformation. You know, I went from being a little boy to a freaking monster. Yeah. And I was all traps, lower back and thighs, but it was it was impressive. I was at a party, and she sadly passed away a few years ago, but I would say one of my girlfriends, in both senses of the term, were at a party, and she started poking my traps. She leans in and goes, what the fuck are those? <laughs> and I, <laughs> and uh, Brilliant. Uh, so I'm sitting there, and it's like, and I, I wish I would have said this. I, I thought this later. I go because you know I I knew her when her when her when she developed uh, boobs, and I wasn't allowed to go up and touch them and say that. You know, um, years later we went on a date and uh, that is so funny. she uh, she she enjoyed the new one, new and improved version. But the, all, you know when when track season came around, you know I was able to you move up to the international plate. You know that that year international discus and. I had no drop off at all, and you know everyone thought I was on drugs, and I was never as clean. And uh, the next year, I only probably put on another five kilos with Dick. And then when I went off to Utah State, uh, you know everything all paid, all free. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was it really it was Dick Nottmeyer. It was a game changer. Yeah, it was a game changer. Um, in my in my writings, I think I have the Dick Nottmeyer glossary on my on my website. A lot of it's just funny stuff. Oh, he, he had a delightful sense. Of, I try to keep that. It, it was, and rest periods, he would tell stories. You know, and it was mm -hmm. always, if something happened, he would say, you know, I had a kid like this. I had this happen before, and he would tell a story. And, and I use that in my coaching. I, I got it from him. Uh, if you notice the way I teach uh, the kettlebell stuff, we'll get to a, we'll get to a time where it's obvious the group is beat. Yeah. So I'll say, okay, here's a funny thing. I'll, I'll tell this two or three minute stupid story but the idea is i'm letting you breathe i'm taking your brain into this path yes and you're you're getting a chance to relax and i learned that from dick and dick dick god dick was a funny guy one time eric Subert was just having a <laughs> he was just having a bad day and so he was stomping around and while he was stomping around dick sled next to me on the bench we, we used the bench for recovery we never bench press uh, and he, he held me close like a scared child. And so we both held each other like we are frightened. And Eric turned around, and he was having a bad day. And seeing the two of us, you know, scree uh, you know yeah, cringing yeah, yeah, in yeah. fear made Eric just start to laugh, and it broke, kind of broke the tension. Mm -hmm. um, he, he was great. He was great at, uh, he, he, you know, he was sarcastic like me, and it was fun. Uh, just a great coach. Um Funny thing is, you know, his athletic background was almost nothing. Yeah, but sometimes they're the best coach. Yeah, because... They have to work hard. And he also... Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, you know, as much as I think I can teach people to be teachers or coaches, I, I think it's 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 a gift. Yeah. Literally. It's, if you've ever been around someone who knows a lot but can't coach, they're not very good. You know, God bless them. They try, but they just don't have the gift. I'll be honest... Uh, I think I was given the gift. I really did. You know? I mean, I know that sounds pretty weird, but it's always been easy for me to look at a 
Western civilization, break it down into bite-sized parts, put my lecture topics together, put together the lectures, put together intelligent things that tie in everything together in a fun, informative way. It's natural for me. You give me if you give me 20 minutes, I can teach 92 classes for you. Mm-hmm. But and I can also work real hard at, to to make it interesting and develop too. Yeah. So I think teaching is a gift. Having said that, you can still get very good if you try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Yeah, coaching coaching is a lot about just giving a damn. You know, um, the one. You know, there are some. I mean. I talked to one of the students and they had a good point. You know, as a coach, your number one job is, well, there's two, I guess, constant assessment. And then the, the second one is you have to be proactive, not reactive. And most bad coaches, bad co- they're behind because all they're doing is fixing last week's problems. Yeah. you got to just say, here are the problems that's going to happen. In American football, I can write lists of the problems that are going to happen. As for throwers, here's what's going to happen with me. Here's the solution. Let's put you on some tension. You would practice solution. Um, Stephen Colby talks about the seven hubs. Yeah, yeah. Be proactive, not reactive. Right. And then when you coach, when you're when you when you win, you 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 don't need to. You're, you're done. Walk away from your athlete. Let them enjoy it. When they lose, you're with them like glue. That's true. True coaching to me is one thing. I've had horrible football teams. Oh my God, bad! And yet I look back and those some of the best experiences in my career. Mm-hmm. When I first, the first year I met Tiffany, I had this horrible. Sorry guys, you're terrible. You guys were terrible. And at the end of the year, it's like turning the freaking Titanic around, but I was able to pull it off. We won our last five games. Were you the football coach as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Football throws helped with wrestling. Did everything. Mm. Um, I was the proctor of the chess team. Oh, you know. <laughs> went to the poetry readings. Went, yeah. The, there's a listen. I mean, we, we can always do a, a part two, but there's just one or two little because I know you you gotta go soon. And there's, I just I really want to make sure I ask one or two of these questions. Um, how do you learn? Me? How, yeah. How do you learn? Well, my personal way is I have to go over the material. Uh, a couple, I have to, uh, like, I'll read a book, and I almost have to read it again. Yeah, same with me. Um, not, I'm not done. I just, and then what, for me, almost as I'm, that's funny, my learning style is teaching. So I'll read a book, and my first thought is, how will I teach it? Mm. How will I, I just bought this book. It's a great book, and I only got one point out of it. Where am I going to put that point in my talks, my workshops, my books? How am I going to bring that up to my athletes, you know, in an intelligent, smart way, you know? Um, That kind of my learning style is organizing it for a presentation. Exactly what I do. I actually read, I reread and highlight, and then I'll put into a PowerPoint presentation as if I had to teach it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Consolidation. And then it stays. Yeah. That way it stays. Uh, We used to call it synthesis, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's my system. That's my best system. Other times I'd write an email to someone, telling them what I've just learned. Like, so Very good. Because yeah. it gets an external perspective to say what their interpretation was of the material as well. Yeah. Nice. Um, like we've had a deep conversation here, pretty deep. 
I think I've asked you this before, but seven years ago, what would you say have been your like the biggest lessons you've learned so far in sixty-one years? Well, they're all well. Our family, so we have the family motto, you know, make, make, a, make a difference. We also have a family saying: "It's not where you start, it's where you finish." Beautiful. And that's a big. So often, you know, like well, it goes around with what you said about Tony Robbins. Okay, so you had a tough childhood. Okay, good for you. What are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? Okay, we're it's we're behind thirteen or nothing. Well, do you want to just quit? Let's go home right now. Uh, according to the officials, we still have you know forty five minutes to play. Yeah. Or, oh, so you're behind? What, what do you want to do about it? You know, it's not we start. Um, oh, that coaching phrase from Coach Mom: "Little and often over the long haul." It's true about fitness. It's true about finances. It's true about relationships. Um, it's true about it's true about how to keep your garden healthy. Yeah. You know, add a little water every day. It's much better than flooding it once a year. You know. So there's a saying that win is actually an acronym for what's important now. What's important now? Yeah. yeah. Learned that from you. I also use the other one, uh, 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 Din. Do it now. Yeah. Because yeah, I and most of the time, most of the time I found in life. And I talk about it in my books, but there's these things I call shark habits where if it's not important, just get it done. Yeah. Now, that's not, that's, if you can take care of it, take care of it. Because it is, I mean, sending back the RSVP for a wedding is, is important. Yes. You know, when I go up to Niall's wedding, Niall, you've got to send us the dates. When I go to Niall's wedding, he's Irish, so you know, I'll get it the day before. Uh, when the, when, I, when Niall said, would you come to my wedding? Uh, I said, yes. I don't want them, you know, will, will he be there, will he not? Will he be there? Yes. I know what you're saying. Yes. Um, so much of my life is based on, <clears throat> I mean, you can call them habits if you want. We call them shark habits. But uh, yes, no. Yes, no. I mean, I, I, I try to get rid of think. I think a lot. But I try not to waste my thinking time on stuff. I just get it, you know. And then the other side is what Pat Flynn so called. You can keep that cognitive capacity for things that are really wrong. Yeah. And then on my computer, you can see my daily to-do list. Yeah. You know, uh, every night I prep the next day. I wake up. I feel I try to be grateful first thing. I meditate. Eat eight different vegetables every day. I uh, try to do certain kinds of working out. If I do that long, you know, good things. Uh, that leaves me plenty of time for reading, corresponding, writing, Try new things. I try new things. You know, you guys only see the successes. You don't see the failure. Mm. So, I, I mean, I'm out there playing around with ideas all the time. You know, just, hmm, is this a better way to do, hmm, 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 you know? Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's essential to your data? Like, what's, like, it's, this is non-negotiable. This has to happen every day. In my life? Hmm. Uh, like, what's one thing every day you're like, that like is it is it speaking to Tiff every day? That oh 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 that oh there's that, that would be that's a pretty good sized list. So it'd be you know of course saying I love you to Tiff every day. Meditate. Uh, meditate at least one minute. I have an app called One Moment right. Meditation, but I also have in there an 18 minute one. So I have a variety of them. Um, sometimes you'll you know uh, when a, before a plane takes off, when the doors close, I that's when I meditate uh, at the 18 minute one. Um, Sometimes, like here, where 
have, like tomorrow's they'll be ready to go at nine. So that'd be the one minute one. I mean, nine sounds late, but I have to do my college work before that, and I have to do this and that. So, uh, for me, the biggest one would be eating the vegetable now. And, <laughs> you know, getting the damn veggies in. Um, lifting weights, walking. You know. Yeah. Um, do you realize that you that I know, and I know it's Dan Gable, but you popularize it. If it's important to do it every day, do you realize the impact that had on our community? Like, yeah. It's so quoted. It's just such a quote. Like, and it, it actually rings. Ever since that came across me, every day, right? Since that, you'll love this. Every day, I have to do, and it's just I don't have to, but I do. And anyway, I have to do a squat, a push up, a single leg deadlift. Uh, I have to get a Spider Man stretch with rotation, and I need to do something where my feet leave the ground, like something explosive every day. Oh, I like that. Well, did you read that article? Everything I learned, I learned from Dan John by Mike Boyle. Yeah, that's yeah, but but see when I worked at when I worked at Boyles, yeah, that's when he first kind of came across your work. He was reading more in two thousand nine. Oh, and uh, when I was intern at the time, and we were at a staff meeting, and then Mike goes, so I'm reading about that John Sufflady, and he has this this quote, and I really like it. And he's like, it's so important to every day. And he goes, I think we should do like single leg deadlifts every day. And like everyone's like, but how are we doing it? He goes, no, no. Some days we'll do them as an exercise, but other days we'll do them warm. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He goes, we're doing it. And then people are like, well, what about space course? Like, some days we'll do them as an exercise, but then other days we'll do them warm. And then, but I remember thinking, that is really clever. Squat every day. I squatted today. Yeah, I squatted today too. Yeah. I squat every day. You know, I mean, it, it's easy when I'm teaching. You know, you know. But today I was sore, and uh, my first squat wasn't perfect. Stiff. Yeah. But then my second one was like, that's Let's go back. Yeah. Um, so important things in life are important. Yeah. And it, and if it's unimportant, why are you doing it? There's a great saying too, just with the unimportant things in terms of stressing about them. If you can control it, there's no need to worry about it. And if you can't control it, don't worry about it. <laughs> I always love that saying. Yeah. I've looked three more for you and I want to let you go. Um, you actually answered this from before, and Genesis was one of them, but your top reading recommendations. You gave us some of your current, and my question is usually top and current, but you kind of gave us your current. What would the one book, no, it's not be one, it could be a few different things, but what would be the one sort of book or books you give away that's important? I mean, you told me Genesis was one time when I asked. Well, The Sword and the Stone. Yeah. You know, in fact, if you go to Wandering Weights, I'm doing a, like a paragraph by paragraph study of it. Yeah. And uh, so it's The Sword and the Stone. That's my foundation. That's book. it. And then from there, I mean, I have a whole list I can share with you. I, mean, I think Dune. I think Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think The Godfather. Uh, Karen Monte Cristo. Um, for, Nick Mitchell loves that book. He says that. Uh, yeah. It's, well, it's about learning. All, all these books are about learning. Have you read Mastery by Robert Greene? You would love No, but I read uh, Mastery by George Leonard. Yeah, that's cool. I, yeah. so, I haven't read that one, but I've read Greene's. Yeah. Um, we'll do this one. Yeah, so we have a... So there's a... There's a list of books, you know, in in the field. Uh, I still think Tommy Tono's first Olympic lifting book because it's so simple and so on point. Um, Did you know Tommy? Yeah. 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 I think he had a crush on my wife. Uh, then I would also say uh, I still think people don't like Gardic, but uh, Quantum Fitness, I've always thought was. Hot O'Shea. No, no. His one's Quantum Fitness. Oh, then what's Dardic's book called? Quantum. Not too sure. I'll check that out. Yeah. Well, whatever. So I was on my. I put it on in my Instagram a couple weeks ago. 
Percy Sarity's book that he didn't write it. It's about his work mm-hmm. by David Myers, who just disappeared. No one knows what happened to him. Uh, that we're trying, that people are trying to find him for a couple of years. Wow. Uh, like Bill Kazmaier, Ken Kanakin, uh, who runs Swiss up in Canada, the the, the the big conference, the Society of Weightlifting Injury Specialists, he says it took him like a year to track down where Bill Kazmaier was because he wanted to invite him to Swiss and he eventually found him and I was like, where was he? He's like, he's up in Alaska working on some like, like wood distillery or whatever, like he was just, like chopping down trees or whatever, he just like went off the planet. Like. So those would be mine in the field, yeah. Last two, the quick fire. Um, you probably kind of answered this one already, but for whatever reason, you've got one year left on Earth. Now, I used, I used to say you've one year left on Earth, but I say one year left on Earth because we'll just say Elon Musk got us to Mars in, sure. in, in 12 months. You're still alive. But you only had one year left on Earth. How would you spend that one year? Like, you're, you're never coming back. Exactly like I'm doing I knew you'd say that. I wanted to make sure. This is the very last one, and this is the one I want to ask you. Okay, we're going to dinner, and I say to Dan, I have magic powers. And you're like, okay, what are your magic powers? And I'm like, I can bring people back from the dead. And you're like, all right, I'm a little bit freaked out, but, uh, you know, we built up a little bit of trust over our conversation, so I'm going to hear you out. But if this gets any more weirder, I might have to put you down. But I say to you, I've got magic powers, and you can bring five people to this dinner, and they can be either dead or alive. So they can be either all dead, all alive. I'm done. I got it already. It's easy. So you have five people. My mom and dad. That's two. Well, see, the thing about my mom and dad is my mom died so young. Yeah, it's 11 years for your father, wasn't it? What you said? 80, 91? She was 80. No, no, in 19, she died she in died, That's what I mean. She died in 19, and your father died in 91. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still. Long time ago. Yeah. You know. And she never really got a chance to see me as me. Yeah. And she was a discus thrower and high school football player and general dumbass. Was was that a was that a shock, Dan? Like, did she just oh. get a rapid illness? Yeah. Cancer? Yeah. And so my father died quickly too, and then my wife and two daughters. So I'd like my, I really would like my daughter Kelly. Her name is Kelly Eileen, and my mom's name is Eileen. That's I'd like you want them to me. And I think Lindsay and my dad would like each other. I, I think I think Lindsay and my dad would really get along. My my dad, my dad would have lost his shit on Lindsay. On Lindsay. <laughs> Won the state shot put champion. <laughs> now, you know what? He witnessed. The funny thing is, you know, I got all misty and cried. He would sit on his hands. He would, he would probably sit on his hands. I can just see him up there in the stands right now. He'd be sitting in the stands like this, hands sitting on his hands so he doesn't make a big deal. He would, he would say to me, Bum, good job, Lindsay, well done. And then go and tell everyone on the planet Earth about the championship. That's um, so, and I, I just, that's the way he was. He was a, he was a good man. Uh, he had his issues. He had his demons, but he was a good man. We all have our demons. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was abandoned. His his mom. So my grandmother died in 1925. And he was abandoned after that. And so he had his issues, but. Uh, no, that was a rough time in America. The Depression, 29. Well, it was it was Korean, yeah, but. Yeah. Oh, was he? Was he? Okay. But uh, shit. But God bless him, man. He he he. He did some good. He was a good, and it's funny, you know, today with the Father's Day tributes, so many people I've mentioned on my sister's site, what a good man your dad was, what a good man my father was, you know, what a good man. And, you know, we're talking, I don't know how long ago 91 was, I don't do math real well, 26 years, 27 years Yeah, 27 years ago I died, and people still, when I go to California to talk about 
my dad especially. My mom, uh, it's the time, it's been so long now. Um, is, is that how you would like to be remembered? If people just yeah. turn around and sit down, John? I'd like there, to remember, there was a good man. remember for not dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, I, I'm Pythagoras, who gave us the theorem, also was a philosopher. He once said, to have immortality, have a child, plant a tree, build a house, write a book. I'm four for four. And so for me, I get a sense that they say about the longer something's been around, the longer it's going to be around. I'm not a huge fan of the book Never Let Go, but by God, people love that thing. Mm. So I think that'll have its own little path, and its own little strange. I devoured it. I swear, I just love it. One of, my, one of the, the, the stories in it. I just every time I read it, I just find it so funny. It's, you said you were at this party, and you were talking to this <laughs> this this girl, and like you were kind of like, "So where's your boyfriend?" And you're like, "He's over there." And you were like, "Oh, funny, there's mine." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Such a good cover up!" Oh my god. So where's your boyfriend? Oh, he's right there. Funny, there's mine. Yeah. Just I, you know, I, I I don't read my own work. Um, I mean, even even ask. Lurie or even John Duquesne, I really struggle after I send it in. I just don't. Yeah. It's like I can't stand watching myself in video either. I can't stand it. Yeah. But a couple of months ago, because I had to because of the audio, I had to re-listen. I had to do some stuff with the book. And it's like, this is... This is quite good. This yeah, this fun. is good, yeah. So I, I was with a group of my friends. It was for my 60th birthday party. And uh, sorry about these noises. No worries. So all these people were sitting in this room, probably thirty people. And I go, "What do you guys think of this?" And it's the scene about it's about flabby butt cheeks. The guy tagged his name on the the toilet seat. Yeah, yeah. And so all old man's flabby butt cheeks, <laughs> and the phrase came out, and the group started laughing so hard you couldn't hear anything for minutes. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, that's that's pretty good. That's that's good. I mean, you know, it, it's what I wanted from that. I wanted people to laugh, and uh, that's what people did. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Dan, listen, this has been an hour and a half. Okay. Um, yeah, and I got I got uh, people waiting for me, man. Oh, so, I just want to say this, like, I'm so grateful. You, you, took you bet, time. of course. I really, really do appreciate it. Like, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, like, this, like I'll be going back home to Ireland in a week, and I'll be thinking, man. Dan John, what a legend, sat down and, and just spoke. So what town have you gone to? What town? Ireland, uh, Dublin. Yeah, you can. I'm with Dublin, yeah. All right, I, I'll be there. I'll be, I don't know how long I'll be there in August, but I'll be there. You'll be there? Yeah. I know. The trip still, that's that Norway, Dublin. Well, if, if you do, let me take you for dinner. Okay, okay. As does, thank you. You're going to have to deal with Tiffany. That's absolutely fine. All right. T- Tiffany, who, t- who claims that she's met me. <laughs> Well, thanks so much. Man. You bet. All right, let me answer all these texts. Mm-hmm.